Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for listening. And today I'm joined by Alex Goruk, uh, and he's a member of our church here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you, Grayson. It's good to have you, and Alex is here to share his testimony today. Alex, just start off telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. Thanks, Grayson. Yes, yeah, so I was born in Ukraine. I was born in 1985. But my story begins uh, maybe around 1973. <laughs> uh, that's when the little city that I was uh, raised in and born in got established. And this little city, just to give a little perspective, you can walk. It's a little rectangle, really, on a map. And uh, if you were to walk across it, it would take you about 20 minutes to walk the entirety of the city. It's a population of about 16,000 people. So really, really small uh, my mom moved there from Russia. My dad moved from Ukraine. Uh, he was uh, close by. He was in a little village in Ukraine. My mom was from Russia. She was really far away. She was studying electrical engineering at the time. But because we have a river nearby, there was a hydroelectric dam that was being built. And that attracted a lot of people. That's why the city was built, essentially, for the people who were going to work on and around what was the supporting structure for the hydroelectric dam. And so my parents moved there. Um, they got married in 78, and by 85 I was born. It was definitely a very, very small city. Um, I'm not sure that most people here would consider it a city. Well, thank you for sharing, Alex. So just explain to us, for a lot of us probably aren't familiar a whole lot what, what life is like in Ukraine. So tell us what it was like to grow up in Ukraine and mm-hmm. give us just a picture of that. Right. So growing up in, I would say, early 90s, um, since I was about uh, five years old by the time 1990 rolled around, was primarily surrounded by me going out with my friends and playing soccer, going camping. We explored the area by caving even sometimes. My parents just found out recently that I went caving with my friend. One flashlight went into a cave and came out alive. So that was pretty amazing. But there weren't any restaurants when I was growing up. Um, Groceries were primarily bought at a bazaar or an open air market on Saturdays. So there wasn't really a grocery store where you walk in and you buy, for example, shoes and food and household items all in one place. You go to one little store for bread. You go to another little store for other little necessities, household goods. But most of your things were bought at this uh, open air market. And because this all happened uh, in the 90s, this is also 1991 is when communism fell in Russia and Soviet Union. So when Soviet Union broke apart in 91, Ukraine became its own country. And so I grew up sort of once Soviet Union broke up. So we spoke Russian in Ukraine. And currently, there's actually a lot of people who really don't like Russian speakers in Ukraine. People are offended by that because of nationalism. And so even though I grew up there speaking Russian, most people spoke Ukrainian. But it wasn't unusual for most people to speak Russian. And my mom being Russian, we primarily spoke Russian because Ukrainian is slightly harder to learn than Russian. So my family, uh, we grew up speaking Russian. For example, my parents, uh, life wasn't exactly easy at the time uh, after communism fell. My parents and most parents at the time had to really figure out how to provide for families. My parents uh, would get paid, for example, every three months, but it wouldn't be that they would get paid three months of pay. They would get paid maybe a few weeks worth of pay every three months. 
So life was based around primarily farming. We had a little uh, one-acre uh, garden or farm outside of the city, and that's where we spent most of our time, Saturdays, Sundays, some evenings, Monday through Friday, we spent there um, at the farm. And that's basically how most people survived. And it wasn't really life after uh, about 91, 92. It was really just survival, providing the means to just kind of make it another day. Well, thank you for sharing that, Alex. And as you were talking about growing up, uh, going caving and camping and playing soccer, I related to some of those things. But then as you were talking about you know, not going to a store where you can buy everything, having to go to different markets, I started to see the differences. And then as you were talking about getting a couple weeks pay every couple of months and how you had to kind of live off the land or farm or do that mm. kind of stuff. So did you grow up helping your parents out on the farm? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so my childhood was, you know, playing soccer and enjoying stuff outside. But a lot of the times it was I'm either playing or going to school or I'm at this little farm. And granted, when I was young, I was able to play like in the sandbox that my dad built for me. But there were many, many, many times I'm either gathering raspberries um, for just a little snack for us as a family or my mom would make jams with that. I would be helping digging holes to put the potatoes in the ground because we normally, that's what people grew is potatoes and apples because they could actually last the entire winter. So when you can't buy food, you have to grow crops that you have to be able to eat from the whole winter. And so I spent most of my spring, summer, fall in the garden and digging up things and watching my dad basically learn how to grow crops, how to draft and graft trees and how to, he would go out into the forest, find a wild apple tree, come back to the garden, plant it. But then he would graft on uh, apple trees that produce bigger fruit than the wild apple tree. And that's how he was able to grow trees that sustained the winters that were in Ukraine, yet produced uh, fruit that were edible and big enough to actually eat and enjoy. So there were things that I really watched my dad uh, and my mom do that was amazing. And uh, I definitely will never forget those moments of just spending time out there. And that's why I have an appreciation, I think, for food and just seeing things in a different perspective, maybe. When I look at food, I see it in a slightly different light, maybe, than others. Well, thank you for sharing that, Alex. And as you were talking, uh, it really put things in perspective, so to speak. A lot of times, us that grew up here in the U.S. take things for granted, like food or clothing. And I know there are people that struggle with those things as well here in the U.S., but just a different way of life, it sounded mm -hmm. like. And share about uh, your first experience, maybe realizing that there was a greater being, a God, maybe your earliest experience with church or what that was like mm -hmm. uh, in Ukraine. Yeah, so it kind of started with my grandfather. So one of the things to know about the city is that we didn't have a church anywhere nearby. So as I said, Monday through Sunday was primarily school or farming, helping out my parents playing, stuff like that. So we didn't really go to church. Uh, there wasn't really ever talk of church. So when we visited my grandfather in the nearby village, my dad and I would usually drive by ourselves and we would help out grandpa with his farming. And so before we left uh, from Ukraine um, in 98, um, my grandfather was about uh, 89, 90 years old, and so he was starting to need some help uh, around the farm. And um, so it was really interesting. It was strange. My first experience with 
what I didn't know at the time yet was God was actually a strange experience. And I say that in a lighthearted way, but essentially during mealtime, my grandfather would do this weird thing. He would stand up, close his eyes, uh, put his hands together, and he would start saying words. Words that I've never heard my parents say, words that I've never had any adults say around me. And so my cousin and I just decided, hey, when we're there or myself, um, we would just stand up and do the same thing with my grandfather before meal. And it wasn't until we came to the States where I saw other people who are praying before a meal realized that, first of all, I didn't even know it was a prayer. I didn't know who it was prayer to. I didn't know why they were saying the prayer. So all of these experiences were really based off of my grandfather. And my grandfather was also the one who gave my parents a little comic book. Also a strange comic book because at the time when I looked at comics, it's superheroes or something with action. Well, this comic book, I was just looking through it and I was really curious. But one page, there was like, there was a person and he had something on his head, like a crown, but he was bleeding from it. And then this person was put on a cross and crucified. It was the weirdest comic book I've ever seen. Many years later, of course, I realized there was the story of Jesus being crucified. And it was the weirdest experience for a person who's never had any other um, experience with religion. Well, that's a really neat story, Alex. And it's kind of neat, I'm sure, looking back. Like you said, at that time, you didn't know what the story was about. Mm -hmm. And you didn't know the prayer that your grandfather prayed before each meal. But you started doing it. So the influence that he had over your life was a huge impact on your life, it sounds like. And now this will play a couple weeks after. But at the time of this recording, we're in Passion Week. So it's kind of neat to hear you tell about the comic book, as you called it, or the story of Jesus that you saw in his crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. So that's kind of neat to hear, especially at the time we're doing this recording. And you mentioned that your family came to the U.S. in 98. So uh, what led to you guys deciding to make the move to the U.S.? And uh, about how old were you uh, then? Yes, yeah, so it was uh, March 13, 1998 is when we landed at JFK in New York. The primary decision for my parents was really financial instability of Ukraine, and my parents were struggling to provide, and so they decided, um, you know, it wasn't the first time they moved since they had to leave where they grew up and come to the city where um, I was born, but leaving Ukraine and friends, you know, after you're 40 and you've established a life, is really difficult to a country where you don't know many people, you don't know the language especially. Um, that's pretty difficult. Thankfully, my uh, uncle was already living here, and so he uh, sent a, uh, an invitational visa to my grandfather and our family. We would become the caretakers. So I was 13 years old. We came to America in 1998. And yeah, it was really interesting because my parents immediately talked about the experience of working for a week and getting paid for that week immediately was such a refreshing feeling that they haven't had in decades or something like that, you know? So they were just happy they could once again live and be able to provide for the family. Well, that's uh, cool to hear, Alex. And uh, you mentioned that you landed in JFK in New York. So how did you end up in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia? Right. So my uncle lived here. He was invited here by a Mennonite family, in fact, a few years before us. 
And uh, I think it was really the cheapest plane ticket that we could afford, I guess, to go to JFK. So they drove up in a minivan. Now, a little perspective again, growing up in Ukraine, we didn't really have that many cars. Most people in the city didn't have cars. Um, It's only if you were pretty well off that you could afford one. So I've never even been in all that many cars. I've been in one up until that point. So we, you know, we get into this van and it has a TV in the van. And so I'm already thinking... People are filthy rich in America (laughs) to be able. I'm like, we didn't have a TV for many years at home. How do you even put a TV in a car? This is amazing. So, you know, our perspective by the media that we saw was already that most people are rich. Everybody drives a Lamborghini, Ferrari and every other exotic car that I saw only on TV in Miami or Los Angeles. Um, you know, so that's our perspective coming in. And so we're driving this minivan and we get to Virginia where my uncle lived. And so because they were already established, they were able to help us get sold into our first rental. And again, uh, the story is it just continues to amaze me the life that people are able to have in America. When I'm 13, up until that point, I've never had uh, like oranges, for example. I've never had a single orange in my life up until 13 years old. And there was one opportunity where my family could have one banana. We were able to afford one banana in Ukraine. We bought it. Uh, My family split the banana in four pieces, and each person ate a little piece. I didn't want it because I thought it was gross. I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, they basically only ate, like, strawberries, apples, and pears. And so we come to America, and we—this is March. Now, from my perspective in March, you don't really eat fresh fruit. There's no such thing in Ukraine where we are. And so we walk into this house, and there's a table that has a bundle of bananas, grapes, and oranges, and juice. These are things I only have seen maybe at a market and maybe in mid-June or July, because, or like even later in the fall, because people have already been able to grow it and actually make juice out of those things. In March, in my head... It couldn't have happened. It couldn't be possible that you can even eat these things. And then I stepped into like Walmart and then I just my mind was blown. that <laughs> You can even buy these things in January. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, once again, uh, something that we take for granted here in America is the accessibility of certain foods kind of whenever we want, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was also uh, neat hearing you talking about how when you came here, not everybody lives like those in Hollywood. <laughs> so, Apparently, but, yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so what was life like coming to America for the first time as a teenage boy? Maybe any stories you'd like to share of school or anything that you remember from those first few years in the U.S.? Yeah, so my experiences were not the most pleasant being a teenager being a teenager no matter where you are in the world is difficult as is adding a language barrier and um, moving to a different country losing all of your friends is pretty difficult um, as a teenager one of the things uh, that i experienced was um, maybe i'm not sure if all of it was bullying but there was definitely unpleasant experiences with people i had a really difficult time making friends in high school So there was a point in time where I felt uh, maybe not depressed, but I was just at a really low in my life. And a set of people that I normally would get lunch with, for example, in high school, they decided to be really funny. When I sat down at the table, they would all simultaneously stand up and walk over to a completely different table and leave me by myself. 
And that was devastating. To a teenager, any teenager, no matter who you are, that is a devastating thing to do. However, at the time, and I wasn't really focused on this because, again, I didn't really know Jesus, there was a set of upperclassmen who decided that they would, they saw me and that they would do something about it. And they stood up from their table that was nearby and they sat down with me and they started to talk to me. And that was more than I've ever experienced, I think, in high school. So obviously that was, that uplifted me uh, that day. And it just made my week, a month, maybe even my year. And I still remember that moment. I still remember. And one of those people actually goes to our church. Scott Miller is the person who actually engaged with me in conversation. And I remembered him to this day. And we had a conversation about this last year, I believe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's neat. Uh, and uh, when you shared uh, recently with the teens on Sunday night, I was hoping you would share that story because I remember about a, maybe a little less than a year ago, you seeing him at the church and being like, you're the guy who sat down at the lunch table with me in high right. school when the kids got up and <laughs> left me. And, and he immediately remembered. <laughs> so it's just, he probably was surprised, you know, that you mm-hmm. remembered But it's just neat how things like that can really make an impact even many years later. So maybe speak to somebody, if somebody's listening on either end, whether there's somebody that's a student that's being bullied at school or maybe they're seeing bullying going on at school, just words of advice for either of those two, you know, how they can be an encouragement or an Mm -hmm. impact on those around them. Yeah, so... Pastor Adrian actually spoke to this several times uh, back when he was uh, leading the youth. And he says something that he even tells his children now um, that I still recall. And this is something that I really want to instill in my own children as well. And that is when you're at wherever you are in life, but especially if you're in high school as a teenager and you see another student sitting by themselves at a lunch table, even if you come over and just sit by them, there's a really, really, really good chance that you're going to make their day, maybe week, maybe month. And even if the conversation doesn't go anywhere, even if you ask some questions and they say, oh, I don't need this, Uh, I'm cool or whatever, it's fine. Even if you do that, it doesn't matter. If you recognize them, if you recognize that need, they could remember that moment and you could save a life that way. You never know the impact you're making in the moment that it's happening, but you could be saving lives just by engaging in a conversation, just by recognizing that they're there and, you know, they mean something and God created them for a purpose. Yeah, that's important. And uh, we both work with the teens here at Harrisonburg Mm -hmm. First Church of the Nazarene. So we know, not firsthand, but just from talking with students, how hard it is. And I remember as a student, and Mm -hmm. growing up and switching schools and being hard at first, especially to make new friends and especially starting a new high school. But I know things have gotten different since we were in high school and harder, I'm sure, for kids even today. So thank you for sharing that, Alex. Mm -hmm. Get us up to date maybe on your life, your family, what you do and how you serve in the church Just whatever you would want to share, uh, maybe starting off uh, telling us about your family. Yeah, so I'm married uh, married to Sarah, and uh, we have uh, Levi. He's going to be two and a half soon. Uh, We have another baby on the way. Um, We're going to find out the gender when the baby's born and all that. So uh, we're trying to do the old school way, not knowing the gender and all that. So 
pretty exciting times when a baby is born and that's when you find out so we're excited about that yeah uh, we're in the midst of uh, serving for example as greeters in the morning so Levi uh, our son we've been able to um, I guess teach him that hey you need to run up and say hello and welcome and he loves doing that so um, it's cool that he's willing to learn that and he's willing to welcome people in and so we've been doing that we've been uh, involved with the youth ministry uh, for a while now as well Um, that's been an amazing experience Uh, just even the men's retreat getting some of the teenagers to go with us I've learned a lot about teenagers I've learned things that I definitely need to work on in my own life and uh, how to make better friendships and relationships with the teenagers and uh, just how to uh, help them as they have questions uh, to navigate the waters of life. And sometimes the waters aren't still and aren't calm <laughs> and there are conflicts. And, you know, as you know, the ocean uh, isn't right. always just still. Right. There, are, there are storms that come and go. And so you have to know how to navigate those. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that, Alex. And I want to back up a little bit. You were talking about your wife, Sarah. Would you like to share about how you first met Sarah and also the impact that she's had on your life? Yes, absolutely. So my testimony, I guess, uh, continues from coming here to the U.S. And I was searching for answers, but I still wasn't a Christian. I was an agnostic and um, or as I called myself. And so I started making friends um, around college time, a little after college when I started doing part-time work. And um, that's when I also started asking my grandfather about Christianity, but I had this really weird experience with that too, where I got scared uh, when I asked him the question, everything felt really dark and scary and I was frightened. I never wanted to talk about it. It wasn't until five years later, I think that I started asking questions again when I was in college. And so I started seeking out um, kind of what is faith? Uh, That was a really difficult question, answering what is faith? And um, so at one point I got invited to uh, this um, cookout with the youth at a church. And one of my friends, it turns out that uh, Sarah was her friend and I didn't know that at the time, but uh, she invited a bunch of us to go salsa dancing. And uh, so we show up at this place where we're going to salsa dance, and uh, Sarah was there. I didn't know her at the time at all. Uh, One of our friends introduced us, and it turns out that we actually had quite a few mutual friends, and we've had these mutual friends for a year, and we just didn't know that. And so all of a sudden, we're starting to hang out more together, hiking, stuff like that. And that was about a year um, before I started to realize that Sarah had something like an air of whimsy around her, but also... um, an air of peace, peace that I've not felt around really anybody else. And it wasn't peace about something she did. It was peace about things that she didn't do or say. It was, I I couldn't explain it, but I really wanted some of that peace. And uh, up until this point, I'm already asking questions. For example, uh, Pastor Drew Ritter was helping me walk through questions. I was asking him lots of tough questions at the time. I wasn't going to go easy on him because I said to him, if I'm going to believe in something, I better be able to defend my faith. And until I'm able to defend my faith, whatever faith means, you know, me saying that at that time, I need to be able to be strong in it. So I better know all the answers that I need to know right now to be able to do this. And so when I met her, it was this peace that I was after, maybe even more than the relationship at that time. But as we started to get more serious and um, our conversation was always, if you're going to date somebody, a date for marriage, basically, or with the intent to marry. But uh, her parents being a 
basically pastors, or her dad is a pastor, her mom is serving in the church for many years. They brought out Second Corinthians, uh, and they said, basically, you shouldn't be together because you're uh, not a Christian. And that devastated me. I was like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean we shouldn't be together? She's going to help me. And, and the, immediately, uh, her dad's response is, Sarah cannot be the one responsible for bringing you right. to Christ. And I was like, what? What do you mean? She's going to help me. She's going to help me come to Christ. And um, that devastated me. That was a shock to me that a Christian would tell me another person is not responsible for bringing you to Christ. You have to do it on your own. And I said, what do you mean on my own? I don't get this. So, you know, obviously, once if you're a Christian, you get it. You have to understand what that means. But at the moment, it didn't make any sense. So it took me a couple of weeks, and I think that was kind of a down point for our relationship. And up until the point, there was a lot of crying, kind of wanting the relationship to succeed, but not knowing how. And eventually, after that conversation with her parents, a couple of weeks after, I went home and I said, okay, we either going to break up or I'm going to see some sort of a miracle from God, and it's going to reaffirm that God is real and I'm going to believe. So I did what I've done before. I got on my knees and I started praying. That's how I understood prayer to be because that's what my grandfather did all the time. And um, I started praying and I said, I want to know you, Lord. I want to believe. And I also want for Sarah and I to be in a relationship. And at that moment, I felt peace that I've only felt around one other person. And it was Sarah. And it wasn't peace from something she did. It was peace from something I had to make a decision on my own. And at that moment, the light bulb came on and I said, oh, that's what they meant to do it on your own. And it was beautiful. Well, that was a cool story, Alex. And what your father-in-law was saying is you can't rely on Sarah's faith. Basically, I would, yes. that's what I would gather. Yes. And also, uh, the peace you're talking about, I believe, is what it says in the Bible, peace that passes understanding. Mm. So it's hard to explain, hard to understand, but it's just a feeling, like you said, that you had never had before, except for maybe when you're around Sarah, mm-hmm. except for I'm sure it was probably even stronger than that. Yep. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Alex. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else that you would like to share about your testimony, whether about what God's doing right now uh, that lets you know that the gospel is the good news or just anything else that I haven't asked you already that you would like to share. Oh, man, I have so many good things. Ever since coming to Christ, I've just had nothing but good experiences in terms of learning, understanding, um, and building that relationship with Christ. I don't often know how to put it into words. So uh, some verses that started to jump out at me as I was living my life and even things in the past that I didn't recognize as God was working still on me. So verses, for example, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This spoke to me when I was talking about my grandfather asking him about Christianity and I felt scared and I was afraid. I just didn't feel like it was something was wrong. And I couldn't there wasn't my grandfather was the most peaceful man I've ever known. And yet something was really wrong when I asked that question. And this verse, when I found it, I realized that's the verse that spoke to me the most about that moment in my life. 
And then as I was in high school and I experienced some of the difficulties with just navigating high school and being a teenager, the verse from Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And all of a sudden, it makes sense where God was in my life. He was right there. He was sitting by me, maybe me just not recognizing. When I prayed the prayer, when I wanted to believe in God, that came from Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And that is the summary of basically my time after coming to Christ and to believing and following, making that relationship happen with God is that he has provided everything I've needed every step of the way. And even as recent as a men's retreat, there were moments where I said, God, I have no idea how I can do this by myself. And he would answer my prayer within 10 minutes of me asking That's about cool. it. And it was beautiful because it was another person who would come up to me and said, hey, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to help you. And I said, whoa, that is exactly what I need right now. And it was just such a beautiful moment, continuing to know that God is exactly there by me, by my side to just walking with me in struggles and in the highs and the lows. Well, thank you for sharing those scripture verses, Alex. And what a great reminder for us as believers and an encouragement and a hope for us. So thank you for joining me today. Of course. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. It's been good to have you. Uh, Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that Alex Garuk's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.